Outrocast. Horizon, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, how's the day going besides having to talk to me? We'll throw it to Bernie first. Uh, oh, no, it's a pleasure talking to you. Our day is actually just starting. You know, mm -hmm. it's 8.45 currently, and can't wait to get this started with you. Well, it's such a pleasure. Your EP, from what I've heard, very impressive because very few groups can do acapella. You know, very few groups have hit songs. So we hear a group that can actually sing, that has catchy songs, et cetera. And arcade is nothing like, you don't know nothing. It's all over the place in a great way. So what was the first song recorded for the EP? Do you remember or who would know the answer? Well, our first track was our acapella track, You Don't Know Nothing, which we released last year. That was our first like track being signed as epic artists. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very special to us. And at the same time, like you don't see a girl group release an acapella track mm -hmm. as their first single. So mm -hmm. no. we thought it was pretty special, yeah. pretty and we wanted daring. To, we wanted to give a gift to our fans because they follow us and knew us from do us doing acapella and our us giving our own vocal arrangements. So we wanted to give them something familiar as newly signed artists. Mm -hmm. And remind people that like, as much as we love all going into different genres of music and exploring music, R&B and harmonies are our roots. Like acapella is our roots. Yeah. Sure, now how do you record You Don't Know Nothing? And I say that because the, you have the vocal bass thing going on, but Obviously, a studio recording is different than a live performance. So who was the first voice or how do you track something like that? So um, You Don't Know Nothing is actually a cover of the iconic girl group for reals. Yes. You Don't Know So we literally, we sat, because there's no sheet music out there for it, we sat down and dissected each layer and each harmony. We had our laptops out, <laughs> our Logic Pro out, just mapping out every single harmony and literally doing it on the fly as we were recording mm, we were all in the booth together and when one person was recording the others were having headphones in trying to hear it for ourselves and it was kind of just swapping in and out of <laughs> recording yeah. it all and the other person was conducting the one mm -hmm. at the mic so everything was sounding tight where does the love of acapella come from for some people they're not an old man like me. It's the movie Pitch Perfect. But where where was the love of acapella from for each of you? Well, I studied classical music in high school. So I sang in a lot of choirs and vocal ensembles and did acapella. So I found my love through that, mm -hmm. really. For and me, Bernie's yeah. the same. Same. <laughs> I was an acapella nerd in high school. Brought it over to university as well and eventually to Horizon. You know, I just love a cappella so much. And Tiara's voice is just like the perfect addition to yeah, any. I acapella had song. I had no a cappella experience like prior to Horizon. I thought it was so exciting to be able to kind of test myself and like try to learn how to blend with other voices. Cause growing up I was only used to performing myself that becoming part of a girl group, I was like, wow, this is really exciting being able to enhance, mm -hmm. like who knew that we, it could sound even better with more people. More voices. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to American acapella, usually the names of the groups are puns, really, really cheesy puns. Is that the same with Australian acapella in high school? Go on, baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie likes to say, 
She had a self-devised acapella group in high school. What were you called? The New Tones, because I went to Newtown <laughs> High School of Performing Arts. So called the New Tones. Very cool. I didn't. Thanks. Sadly, I actually not cool. We didn't have names because I was in several different ensembles mm. and we had a massive school choir. We didn't really have a name. Oh, I tell a lie. I, I spent like oh, a couple of months being in a church choir. Yeah, that counts. That counts. That counts. I, it was like three months. <laughs> okay, so fortunately, you don't have bad names like the B-Sharps. Uh, that's that's one of them around here that yeah. you have to tell a name, the puns. But uh, there's other great songs on, you know, your EP that I've heard and prior to that and all that. What I'm curious about is, do you have an acapella version of each song that's on the EP? Ooh, we we have not <laughs> planned that. But you know what? You're onto something there. You're onto something. I mean, yeah, there was we put so many vocal layers and harmonies in each of our songs because we vocally arranged all of our songs. Mm -hmm. You were lucky enough to mm -hmm. have, so be like, I want to see what you guys want to do on this one. So if we just take out the music, it would just be a vocal. But I, yeah. but I mean, when, it, when we release these songs, we're always doing an acapella arrangement on our social media yeah. as well. So I guess kind of. Mm -hmm. A full version. Where yeah. I'm going with that is if you do the stereotypical major re record label thing, you go, you have to have the instrumental version, the acapella version, the Spanish version, uh, maybe a German version. Or, do you have all those different versions in the works for Horizon? I mean, wait, we'd love Spanish. <laughs> German. Let's get into German. <laughs> well, I've got Spanish in me. She knows a bit of German. And we're all Filipino. We should do a Tagalog version. Yeah, I think we should, <laughs> should be doing do a Tagalog too. version. Seems, yeah. seems You know what? Let's just add some spice into a Hungarian <laughs> version. I'm, I'm not trying to give you more work to do. I was just curious because... It, you know, if I like these songs the regular way, I might love them acapella style. So you may want to listen to the same exact album in a different way and change it up. So fingers crossed we get that. And are we going to get a U.S. tour in the near future? What are the plans internationally? Because you guys have to travel a lot. I'm, I'm very aware of that. Yes, we heard that there's going to be a lot of traveling this year. And we are definitely planning to go back to the States sometime yes. this year when, yeah once this ep is released even before then to be honest we're planning to be on the road a lot this year we we just want to be doing it as much as we can performing getting to know other like our supporters everything so we'll definitely be on the road is there a fan-based nickname for horizon i couldn't figure that out no <laughs> yes, honestly <laughs> like we need help with that. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to find. Well, I mean, to be fair, I feel like that's something the fandom have to come up yeah, with. Yes, but kind of putting it on them. But at the same we've, time, we've we're tried trying a lot of names: sunset, sunrise, sunrise. Your rising. What was it? Your rising. That they're in the community. No, we're not doing that. Uh, the <laughs> So that's a work in progress. The Spanish and German versions are a work in progress. And the last two, three questions here, and then I let you go. Uh, I mentioned the song Arcade before. And Arcade mentions video games. It's kind of an analogy to a complex relationship. Are any of you gamers or are those just fun lyrics? 
Oh. I'd, say, I'd say we both are. Like, Bernie and I kind of grew up playing a bunch of different... So you're even more, even more so now. Like... Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm more so now. I just I just have... It's really embarrassing. You have a Sims time. addiction. I have a, it's really embarrassing <laughs> how much I have, like, a Sims 4 addiction, Hogwarts legacy. Like, uh, it's... I think I need an intervention, yeah. to be honest. But. For me, it's just Call of Duty on mobile. That, that's it. I can't play on any console. I can't aim on a console. Like, I can't do that. Mobile, it's easy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't allowed games <laughs> in the house. She was busy studying. I had to study chemistry. <laughs> that's so fine. Math was her game. Yeah. Was so in seven choirs. Yeah. 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 Too busy just. Singing, singing. singing. But, but look at us at the same place, same, same time. <laughs> Making history as you know the first epic record sign that we care about, of course, of uh, you know from that imprint. But uh, last two questions. First one, tricky is who you worked with on "You Don't Know Nothing." Who I first discovered because of the Umbrella single. Do you remember the first single or song where you noticed Tricky? Baby, mine, Justin Bieber. Mine was Single Ladies. <laughs> Same with me, Single Ladies. Single ladies. Just, he, oh, and Case of the X. Case of the X. Oh, I love that. But he, like, made our childhood. Like, mm -hmm. literally, he made every song. Oh, touch my body. Oh, right. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and especially, like, now, like, Water by Tyler. Mm -hmm. wow. Yes. And, like, oh, what's a fun fact, like, what we're so, like, we're so blessed to be working with literally some of the same writers from that team behind Water by Tyler, yeah. and they helped with Naughty. So we're like, oh my God, no wonder Flex. it's such a banger. No wonder it's such like a club banger. There yeah. you go. Last question. Anytime I speak to an Australian major label recording artist, I ask this. And obviously, Horizon's the, the best Australian recording artist in history. Everyone knows that it's a fact. But who's the second best Australian recording artist of all time? We love Kylie a little oh. too much. Like, till now, she is just giving us <laughs> slay with Iconic. And actually, to be honest, I think I'm really in love with Troy Sivan at the moment and yes. his new album. Yes. Like, I like Troy Sivan's new album. Mm. So you didn't say ACDC, you didn't say NXS, it's Kylie. Look, we love ACDC and we love NXS. It's just Kylie. Kylie. <laughs> like, how can we? It's, it's, Kylie. it's Kylie. I I hear you. You're not wrong. But the bottom line is congratulations on the EP. Looking forward to the full length. Looking forward to the U.S. tour dates and just keep up all the greatest. It's exciting to see what you've accomplished already. And just keep it going, girls. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. Caleb, how's your day going aside from talking to press and answering the same questions over and over and over again? Uh, my day's going good, actually. I've been chilling, you know, doing a little bit of school school work here and there because I'm not at school today. And besides talking to press, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you have a nice poster next to you. So when did you actually make the underdogs? I would say I think I made it around I say like it was last year I think like August of last year probably because it was it was a few months like of me doing the audition before I actually got the part so yeah sure now 
how much football experience did you have before making this film? Um, me being like, cause me, I'm a dual sport athlete, so I play basketball and football. So I kind of had, I kind of had like a lot of experience with playing football, but I didn't actually play the sport for a team until after the movie. But uh, yeah, I had some experience playing. Got it. Favorite team in the NFL? Do you have one? Um, right now I say I say the Ravens. Wow. Okay. So you're happy about the Super Bowl? Yes, most definitely. <laughs> and you're not cheering for Taylor Swift? No. Okay. So back to you. You know your character, Dwayne. How much of Dwayne is there in you, the human being? Actually, there's a there's a lot of Dwayne in me. I'm not gonna lie, because Dwayne's story. I could relate to because when I was doing the auditions, I was kind of going through the same thing that he's going through. So like just being the character and being, being able to tell my story from a whole different person, it's, it's different, but it's the same cause it's me. And also Dwayne is a hype beast and like he wears, he wears a lot of drip, wears a lot of cool stuff. And that's just me. I like to wear cool stuff like that. And so does your co-star Snoop. Uh, had you ever encountered Snoop before laying this great role? I didn't actually. I heard about Snoop. I listened to some of his music. Um uh but just being around him, it's like totally different from seeing him on commercials and stuff. Got it. Did you know anyone involved in the film before landing the role? I didn't like knew them personally, no. Yeah, because sometimes you find, hey, you you know, you're a working actor, so maybe you audition next to people, or maybe this person was your neighbor. You never know with Los Angeles. Right, but um, working like working with the people, I didn't know none of them like personally. I met like the kid actors, like the rest of the, the rest of us, and Snoop. I met them all on Zoom when we was doing the audition. But like Mike Epps, Tika, I knew all of them from movies and stuff. Yeah, I'm a longtime fan of Mike Epps like I am with Snoop. How is Mike to work with? Because I assume funny people, people just assume that they're funny, but they don't really realize that comedians are maybe the best actors out there. Right. Working with working with Mike Epps, it was cool. A lot of times it was, it was very funny. Like he he had us all laughing. But at the same time, like some people don't realize that just because they're a comedian don't mean that they can't be serious sometimes. And like when it's time to get the work done, they really got the work done while having fun at the same time. Right. Well, to us, this is a new film because it's out this week. To you, you filmed it already. It's it's old in a way. Are we allowed to know where we're going to see you next? Or is it we just have to keep checking Instagram? What's the deal? To be honest, I don't know right now. I'm right now. I'm just waiting on auditions so I can get more parts, being more stuff. So just stay tuned to my Instagram, and y'all find out. And when you're not busy with the hustle, with the auditioning, being a normal student and all that, where does your free time go? My free time either goes into reading or playing sports. Cause at the end of the day, I'm still an athlete, and I love I love sports. I love football and basketball. So if I'm not at home reading, or not at home. Um, oh yeah, also, I'm a social media influencer. So I do YouTube videos, I do dances, all of that. So if I'm not reading or being an influencer or making videos, 
that I'm out there on the field or on the court playing sports. Now, being a star of a big sports film that people are going to see, have you started getting free tickets to events yet? Or is that going to happen because you're a social media influencer and you have to wait a little more time? Uh, to be honest, I don't know yet. Like, I like to stay humble. So, like, I wouldn't really say that, like, oh, yeah, I'm big, so I need free tickets and stuff like that. But I'm really humble. So, like, really, if they want to give them to me, that's fine. But I haven't yet. You know, I think being an influencer, I might got to wait a little bit. But also, like, being in movies and stuff, it might happen. Got it. Then you mentioned auditioning at the moment. Long term, is there a particular genre or a kind of role that you're hoping to one day have? Yes, yes. I want to do an action movie so bad. Like, I want to be in those action movies where, like, you got to, like, jump over cars, like, flip over cars, explosions, fighting, all of that. Because, like, I love Marvel movies. And, like, for me, I want to be, like, my own superhero, like, my own type of hero. Got it. And being a two-sport athlete, I'm sure, is very helpful with all that. Yeah. Okay. Last question before I let you go. What's the last concert that you went to? Or are you not a person that goes to concerts yet? Um, Not yet, actually, because I haven't been to a concert yet. But I want to go. I want to go to a concert. I haven't been to one yet, though. So hopefully I'm going to be able to go to one in the future. And that's one of those things where being an influencer is going to get you the tickets. I know you're not asking, but we <laughs> need to get you into some concerts. You need to put yourself out there for that. So hopefully that happens soon, Caleb. Yep. Well, thank you for your time. Congratulations on the underdogs and really looking thank forward to your next big project. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Outrocast. Well, I'm going to say good morning. How are you? That's part one of the two-part question. So how are you today, Sammy Ray? I'm well, thanks, Darren. Thank you. You're dialing in from Brooklyn? I am in Brooklyn, yep. Okay, now the part two of that question is, does anyone just call you Sam or Sammy, or is it always Sammy Ray that's non-negotiable? You know, it, I, I'm, always good for, I'm always good for a good negotiation, but typically, like, close friends off stage, it's Sam. And then if you know me from work, usually I'm Sammy. Does that make sense? You graduate like that. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah. we're talking because, hey, there's a new single from a forthcoming album, live album, not old news. That's still within the last six, seven months. Mm -hmm. Big headlining tour as well. Lots of activity. And you didn't get a lot of downtime before all this happened. So, no, sir. <laughs> what did you get, like two months off in 2023? Yeah, just about. And that was pretty sporadic, to be honest. <clears throat> we were kind of out for a couple of weeks. We would come home for a week and then go out and do something else and then come home and then go to the studio. So 2023 was was a whirlwind for sure. We spent, yeah, maybe it was two months. We, we had some time to carve out and focus just on the album, which was great. But it was definitely a, a whirlwind of, of a year for sure. So the album is, and I'm not asking for exclusives or anything like that, but the album is done. Is it mastered? All that kind of stuff? The album is entirely mixed and nearly entirely mastered. Got it. So we yeah. just have to So it checking. exists. It exists. So we <laughs> just have to keep checking the gram. And that's how we know when it's time to know that there's more than coming home song in the can. Yes. I appreciate you mentioning the gram. That's definitely our first. That's like our primary social media and kind of means of communication to the audience and means of 
announcing cool stuff. But I'm excited because Coming Home Song was one of a few singles that'll come out in increments leading up to the announcement of the release of the album. So it really it was the first page and a very exciting chapter of us. We've been kind of calling it Friends 2.0, even though we've been you know touring and releasing music for all these years, we've never released a full length album. So to be able to make something from top to bottom, you know, and, and have a cohesive vision was really exciting and refreshing. So releasing Coming Home Song was the first page of Friends 2.0. Friends 2.0. Now, when you have a headlining tour like this, they're there for you. You know, those mm -hmm. are your fans. But where does Coming Home Song go on the set list? Is it the opener? Is it the encore? Or is it just the middle? It's just another song. <clears throat> It's just the middle at the moment. You know, we actually were playing Coming Home Song for a couple of months uh, previously in 2023 for a while before we had even recorded it because it, it's special when you make something and then you get a chance to take it on the road. I, I, our basis always says that when you record something, that's kind of a snapshot of where that song was at that point in time and that kind of iteration of what it was. And you take it on the road, obviously, you see how the audience reacts. It changes over time. So with this one, the first single, we were like, why don't we play it a couple times and see what really sticks with them and what doesn't and what elicits a reaction. Um, so that was a new uh, approach for us that we had played it a handful of times and got a chance to let that inform before we even went to the studio, how we would bring it to the studio. So the fans know this song and they've known it since before it came out, which is exciting. We would take a second to teach it to them before we would play it every night. But now that they know it, know it online, I'm very excited to, again, it's not the coming home song tour and it's not the album tour. So it is in the middle of the set. And I think it's gonna serve as a really effective like lift to have everybody singing with us in the middle of the set, our, our newest release. Well, it's a genius business move to have the coming home song because every night, no matter the city, you can do the rap about, you remember the first time you were in this city and every time you, you play here, it feels like coming home and you can do- Ah, oh, look at you. Look yeah. at you. You're, You're smart. You're <laughs> Thank welcome. you. So, I, appreciate, I value that. So you mentioned there's other singles coming out before the album is announced and all that. Are you going to be playing a lot more of the new music on these upcoming headlining dates? So the headlining tour runs from next week, which is stressful to say, but we're excited. We're ready. We're psyched. Yeah. Um, the, the headlining tour runs from, I guess, the end of the first week of February through the second week of March. Um, kind of halfway through February, we're going to be announcing the second single, the, the next single to come out. And um, that won't be released until the end of that tour, um, but we're going to announce it in a couple of weeks. So we're actually only going to be introducing, we'll have Coming Home Song and then be introducing that single into the set as well to do a similar thing, which is, you know, you don't even know when it's going to come out yet, but this song is coming out. Um, and again, that's a new approach for us. We get so much feedback that like what you do on the record is amazing, but what you all do live, we're a live band. We've always identified as a live band. Yeah. We put on a great show and we love being on the road. So it's, it, it's, we're excited to not too many, but at least this upcoming single, get it in their brains in the live space and with the live energy before they even have it on the record. Well, the you just fed into something that I'm very curious about. Not that yeah. I script questions or anything like that. But I'm finding right. one third of the time the Wikipedia is wrong. Mm -hmm. And your Wikipedia says that your musical direction in concert was kind of shaped by seeing a Bruce Springsteen segment on VH1 when you were in your younger years. So you mentioned, hey, we're primarily a live act. 
is that largely rooted in the Springsteen thing or is that Wikipedia fiction? No, no, it's accurate. It's accurate. It's I'm sure there's a couple of falsehoods on my Wikipedia page. I haven't been to that corner of the Internet in a while, but that's accurate. When I was like 12, I, I was introduced to the concept of songwriting and band leading, really, for the first time by by seeing Bruce Springsteen on television. And I suddenly was like ravenous for all of his music and ravenous for kind of classic rock in general. I couldn't get enough of it. And the difference between what was playing on the radio at the time you know, we're talking like early 2000s was, you know, boy bands and like Shaggy and J-Lo and that's wonderful. And and it was, yeah, yeah, it totally, and boy bands. exactly. And that was that was fine and well, but that classic rock and like hard rock vibe of a band playing together, what was 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 what was really attractive to me. Um, and so I was just kind of ravenously consuming that in my teen and my early teen, my, my preteens and my teen years. Um, and then seeing Bruce, who is, you know, a songwriter, but also I think would identify himself as a band leader. Few people identify as a band leader, you know, you can be in a band, but to have that as your primary thing, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to make music, but I certainly didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to, and actually what the handful of times when I have to go on stage by myself, it's, it scares me to death. I don't like being on stage by myself, but I knew I wanted to be with folks that I loved. And I saw oh, that so perfectly friends. exemplified. The friends and I saw that so perfectly exemplified in the E Street Band and I was like yeah i'm gonna do that thing so yes that's accurate that's an accurate statement. Uh, kind of hard rock classic rock even a little folk rock Fleetwood Mackey but like the idea of a band with one or two people kind of in the front. Um, but all sharing energy and bringing their own individual talents to the table that was the thing that I, I knew I wanted to do from the very beginning. Springsteen is different, in my opinion, from most of the artists like that. And he had actual hit songs. You know, Glory Days is a pop song. All, yeah. Th there are things like that. Whereas you see Southside Johnny or another artist like that, you go, these are great songs. They seem live. And then you hear the studio album and you go, meh. No, in yeah. your case, <laughs> studio album is great. So is it... Nice. Uh, something that comes out in the rehearsals where you know how to extend the songs and be a band leader meaning is that a creative part of the whole process or have i overthought that whole thing no i think you touched on some good stuff there it's worth mentioning that while i'm the primary writer for this project the arrangement process for all of our music is hugely collaborative so writing in terms of like here's the lyrics here's the theme here's the melody here's the basic chord structure here i want this horn line or i'm thinking about this that's me. And then it goes to the band. And then we spend hours with each song. Let's try this. Let's try that instead. And it's a lot of auditioning ideas because there's seven of us. We're all very good at what we do. Mm -hmm. You've got an idea. You've got an idea. Let's audition this. Let's audition this. Let's vote. It's a lot of raising our hands and voting. And there's seven of us. So usually it works out. When necessary, my vote counts as two. But usually that's not necessary. And it's hugely collaborative in that way. So by the time we get to the live space, uh, we all have it. I'm not teaching the band anything. We all have it in our bones because we all brought it to life together, you know? So it just is very natural in the way that we perform it on stage. And it's special because over the years, we're not like arranging and writing. I'm not writing for sax players anymore. I'm writing for Kellen and Max, you know? We're not arranging something that is gonna sound great. We're arranging something that we can make sound better than any other band in the world. And in that, having learned from each other over the years and learning to make space for each other, I think what we've got now in the live space is 
a really powerful show where everybody gets a chance to kind of shine and, and do their thing, play their instrument and assert, you know, the sort of genres and influences that that they bring to the table without it being cheeky and like, it's time for a bass solo. It's just, there's nothing to serve the part of this song better than, you know, James Quinlan's taking a bass solo. So that's what we're gonna do and we're all gonna give him attention. You know, it really is a, a give and take and feeding off each other from the very beginning. And we can't help but bring that live, you know? Charles, Andrew, good morning, or, or is it good afternoon by you? It's 4 p.m. here. Okay. I'm, I'm just getting the day started with this stupid American energy drink. but Lovely. That's the, the American way. The, the American way, which you're going to experience in the very, very near future. But how's your day going aside from talking to, you know, fake news media that's going to ask you the same questions over and over <laughs> and over? Good. I, I went uh, to a town close to where we're from, and I went to a museum. The weather's been very bad, so I've just been playing the banjo all day. Yes, miserable weather. Those are the exact answers that I want to hear, being a big fan of the Irish Rock and Roll album. If you went, oh, we went to the beach, uh, yeah, no. pina coladas, that would be very off-brand for your band. No, or miserable. You're looking out at the rain, hissing at it, and then we stayed inside playing music. In sure. Yeah, well, I respect the craft. And uh, again, big fan of the Irish rock and roll album and big U.S. tour coming up in support of this. Now, this is yet another compliment, and I'm really curious. You guys are your own band. You sound like yourselves. You combine punk rock energy with traditional folk music. Now, what point did you realize it was okay to be yourselves, that you didn't have to be chasing the charts to be this successful globally touring rock band um i don't think we could be anything else if we tried to be honest we've yeah. always been odd my personal thought is that we're kind of lazy it's hard to be someone else but it's easy to be yourself i think you just have to be a bit a bit brazen i suppose so since we were kids we were ourselves definitely well at what point though was it realizing it's going to be a thriving career being ourselves and i say that because when you're on a real record label when you have booking agents when you have the traditional music industry backing usually there's at least one person in the background going you know what you should do a collaboration with this artist or you should have a more yeah. commercial hit well, so we can get it on us. radio and then the other songs you can be yourself i suppose what's good about us is that we don't have a record label so like we just kind of do what we want i think we definitely realized that like i suppose we made the decision before uh, any of the success came in that we were going to be doing it you know so it, before we had any money like we were so poor and we were like well at least we can play music and we'll at least worst comes to worst if we play music we'll still get fed and we'll still get watered uh over it so uh we kind of decided that it was going to work before it did work so infrastructure and did you have anyone yeah. going Hey, you have too many people in the band. You should you should be down to four people. Well, originally it was just three of us, uh, me, Andrew, and Sean. Uh, and uh, 
you know, no one really, I think people were more just going like, why, why are you singing ballads? Because it wasn't very popular when we started doing it. So that was the a lot only of people in Ireland when we were younger, like wanted to, they wanted to be playing music from other countries and they wanted to be singing in like American accents and stuff. And like, yeah, you know, or interest. even worse, English accents. <laughs> but um, they, uh, I don't know, we were, we've just always been doing it regardless because it's brought us happiness and we'll always do it because it's all we know how to do. So um, sure. it doesn't really matter how successful we are because we're just still going to do it either way. So- so if you take a song like Rich Man and the Poor Man, it's a very minimalistic arrangement. Was there ever a point where it was a full band take or did that song not, in any way? No, not at all. It, it it was always me with a bow run. Now, we did think about it, about doing more, but then if it's not broke, don't fix it. Also, sometimes you know? the story can be lost. If you add too much music to a song, the actual uh, narrative of the lyrics can be lost. So sometimes mm. it's better. Less is more. So it never really changed. Even oh. actually, Andrew started doing harmonies on it. I started getting a bit out of joint at times. Mm. I was like, "You're doing too much," but uh, you know, it's actually it's actually only added to the song. Do the arrangements of the songs usually start off closer to that, and then you build a band around it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. generally speaking, every every song. We, we, me, Charles, and Sean bring songs to the band that we've arranged and then the band kind of just join in on them like so we figured out that way so got it okay so that's more of the basic song that stayed a basic song okay now yeah. i understand definitely so when people come to see you at a big show like the warsaw venue in brooklyn how does that set list compare to somebody seeing you in ireland exact in other words do you have to change it around or is it the same songs everywhere and here's why I asked that. If you take a random band like OMD, the hits were not the same in the States as they were in Europe, different set list. So what's yeah. it like for your band? I think we we stick to pretty much the same set list. It, it kind of depends actually on the night that it inform us changing our end songs and depending on what's going on. If there's news that there's a particular song that it relates to on the night, it doesn't really matter uh, geographically where we are, but mo- maybe more so. If we uh, want to make a point, we might change the song. But pretty much our set list is the same because uh, we tour it so much. Now, this set list when we're coming to the, uh, America will be different, I think. But, uh, but you know, we kind of keep it the same. People everywhere like us for the songs they like us for. I think as well, if we're enjoying the songs, if we have energy for the songs, other people will get energy off it as well. Yeah. Hmm. Is it going to be most of the Irish rock and roll album in the set list? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there'll be a few new songs as well, though. So we be... just haven't figured out what they are yet. But yeah. The, the reason I'm asking new... that one is sometimes you find bands go, oh, if we play more than two songs on the new album, the crowd looks at us dazed. But in this <laughs> case, when you have a masterful album that got great reviews, maybe that Thank is you. the focal point. So it can go either way. Yeah, yeah. we'll definitely be playing a lot of the album like We'll just we'll be experimenting with new songs as well the next few months for our next album. So, uh, we'll we'll definitely be doing our our gigs are always fun anyway. So, I think even if we do kind of out there stuff or different stuff, I think the audience like it anyway. But we also know if something's not working, we'll make sure there's we'll make sure that the next song works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can read a crowd at this point in your career. You can know it's not working. Barely. Yeah. 
So this this is a potentially stupid question, but I'm genuinely intrigued. So this town that I live in on Long Island in New York is called uh, Long Beach, but they call it the Irish Riviera because it's such a large Irish population, you know, well, people from actually Ireland. And every time it's March, uh, you have all the people going, oh, I'm Irish, I'm Irish. And like, no, you're not. They're just for St. Patrick's Day. They're Irish. So they eat their corned beef and cabbage. All yeah. these things that real Irish people don't do. Don't do, no. Uh, they they listen to Thin Lizzy just for that day. Uh, <laughs> not the great songs of Thin Lizzy. They just listen to Boys Are Back in Town and Whiskey. That's it. Everyone becomes Irish for a week, and, and that's kind of it. So... The U.S. always has its Irish population that comes out for a little bit. But where is the number three country for your band? Because obviously Ireland, U.S., but where else are they kind of Irish obsessed in all the wrong ways? You know, sometimes in Europe, maybe like it's interesting in Europe. Some people like Germans have like a different view of like for some reason, uh, Irish folk music was huge in Germany around the 60s. And maybe and the fifties and sixties, maybe because they couldn't really be proud of their own uh, <laughs> folk traditions at that point. So I think that's why they they went for that. So I think kind of maybe in Europe, like we we played a gig in Switzerland one time, and there was a lot of people dressed up like Vikings. It was crazy, like you know, there's actually because they thought it was like an Irish thing. There's a whole circuit all over the world of like Irish festivals, and we've done we've done that one really, but generally we try and steer away from Irish festivals because. We're more interested in playing to people who just want to listen to us at face value. And it doesn't really matter where you're from. Like, that's our main thing. Like, but it's obviously great that Irish people, they're easier to get on board. Like, but um, it's weird. But it was funny that, like, def I think definitely Europe, because, like, that they were all dressed as Vikings doing, like, synchronized dancing. And we'd never seen anything. Like, they thought that was real Irish. It was like being in a cult. It was kind of weird. So, actually, Switzerland. Never in mind Germany. Germany, they're always normal in Germany. But what's weird is... But Switzerland, we played, they're weird. We played that gig in... I think it was in Siam. And the next day we played in another town in Switzerland. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but we it were... It was Winterthur. Winterthur. And we were playing there the next day and we told the people about that and they were like, what? Yeah, you know, so... Because the, the next gig we did in Switzerland was amazing. So yeah, yeah. So it's actually not even Switzerland. It's just... There's a group of kind of spin-off of people who've... People who think that it's Irish to wear a kilt. Like, I remember the first time I heard about the corned beef thing. Like, I couldn't believe that because I it, I know nothing of this over here. I don't even really know what corned beef is. It's like a Jolly Roll. Do you know the stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of the worst meat yeah. uh, there, there possibly food. is. You, yeah, you rotten. There couldn't be Angus corned beef as far as no. I know. No, no, no. absolutely not. <laughs> and it sounds like you have the exact opposite approach of, say, Flogging Molly, a band I do like, don't get me wrong mm. here, but Flogging Molly is basically Irish music for non-Irish people, whereas mm. you're Irish music for everybody, and you're not going, hey, we're Irish. Yeah, yeah. it it just yeah. so happens that we're Irish. Like, so we that's love, what we talk about. We you know? love Ireland, and we love being Irish, and we love Irish music, obviously, but... I think it's important to have more people. A lot of the songs about immigration and stuff, people, Irish people have less in common with the songs today than may, sometimes than like maybe people from other countries, you know. Maybe, coming to Ireland, you know. You know, maybe like people from, uh, but even coming to America, you know, like people who are who are having to walk across the border into America and stuff, you know what I mean? Like that, 
that's the immigration that's happening nowadays like you know so the music is for everyone and the themes are there for everyone like so it's uh i suppose they're just such human songs that everyone should be able to relate to them like absolutely so two stupid questions uh two more stupid questions that is Lovely. and i will let you go and and the first one is obviously you were fans first before you were the successful global band uh, what's the last concert that both of you went to as a fan not because you're going to get up on stage and it's guest for a song but yeah. because you go i, I want to see these people cypress hill we were in la and we went to see cypress hill and it was one of the best concerts amazing. I was ever at in my life. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, we went to go see Cypress Hill. It was it was it, like a childhood dream to see Cypress Hill and they delivered. Ironically, the last interview I did was Be Real a couple oh, of days ago. Right, yeah, sadly. Now, yeah. was he dressed as Dr. Green Thumb for yeah. Orange? Yes, but they were doing, uh, uh, I think it was the Black 50th, Sunday. 40th anniversary of Black, 30th anniversary of Black Sunday. It was brilliant. They did the album start to finish and it was yeah, amazing. and and uh, trash talk were supporting them, and they were really good too. <clears throat> wow. So, yeah, it was unbelievable. And we actually we, met Sendog afterwards, and he's since come to one of our gigs with DJ in Ireland. So, do you think that could be one of the collaborations? Because when we go down the list, yes, of yeah. course, Pogues people happen, and hey, you were on the Jules Holland thing. But is there a way that a Sendog could get into a Mary Wallopers collaboration? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, or the other way around. We're always willing to work with Cypress. So <laughs> now I know that there is the hip hop influence. I knew that there was the punk rock influence. But the last question, was there a metal phase for both or either of you? Yeah, well, we were really into punk. And I think actually when I when I was much younger, I was into metal. Our older brother is is, is mad into like really old metal. Like yeah, Ronnie Norman. Leo and like Iron Maiden and like. Uh, we went to see Iron Maiden yeah. with him. There was kind of a classic metal a bit, but like not as much as punk maybe and, and hip hop and Yeah. I think we were into metal before we were into punk, I think. But like you know, like Black Sabbath and Ronnie James Dio, all that like amazing, you know. Like we love metal. We actually we had tickets to see Ozzy Osbourne uh two years ago, I think, but it, he cancelled the gigs and we were distraught. We were so we were gonna go with our friend Jack and we were so disappointed when we found out he cancelled. It was last March we were supposed to go, I think, or last May. So hopefully we'll see Ozzy Osbourne at some point. I believe he's coming back now doing some gigs. If not, there's some good tribute bands out there that are singing. And Ozzy yeah. is Mac the Sabbath, the McDonald's tribute band. See, no Mac Sabbath as well. So basically yeah. what I'm hearing is when the Mary Walpers are not playing, they're listening to every other kind of music than Irish folk music. Absolutely. Yeah. We're big country and Western fans as well. We like Mary Robbins and stuff like that too. Hank Williams. Hank we actually Williams. have a, a framed picture of Hank Williams in our kitchen. So, in other words, you are people of the world, highbrow and lowbrow. <laughs> Especially lowbrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to say good morning and how are you? That's that's the part one. And then the part two is, what do I call you, J James? Yeah, you can call me James. Okay, well, James, how are you? Because you didn't answer that. It's important information here. I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, nonstop, but good. The reason I ask how you're doing is because you're doing a press day where the people ask you the same questions over and over and over again. So my goal is to ask 80% of the same questions and 20% originals, okay? That'll be really good. Okay, well, 
We'll start off with plugging the new music. Prophecy is out in about a month and you control the destiny of this group. So how long has this album been done for? I mean, mastered, done, you knew that it was finished. Um, Man, probably almost a year. Wow. So sometimes when you speak to people who are the visionary of the group, when they have the album done, they start working on the next one, meaning the, the follow-up album is already in the works. How are you with all that? Uh, I'm just like in the idea phase. I've started a couple tracks, but uh, I'm not really sure. I want to see kind of how this one goes to see where I take the next one. <clears throat> I was thinking about doing like a somatic release with like videos for every song, you know, like a synthwave version of uh, what's that? Uh, Beyonce thing that she did where it was all the videos <laughs> banana split or whatever the fuck it was called I don't know I I know entirely what you're talking about I don't want to say anything wrong because I don't want the beehive to come after you because the beehive <laughs> does that's one of those fan bases you don't mess with you know like yeah, you no. kiss fans don't mess with Beyonce's yeah I've uh I've seen them tear people up on Twitter exactly is there a name for your fan base by the way i i couldn't figure that one out easily we don't really have a name for like individual people i guess like the dreadfully possessed is like the facebook group where some other fans kind of meet up and it's basically just turned into a meme page but yeah but good memes and i think that reinforces the darker the music the nicer and more lighthearted the artist and the fan base generally are yeah yeah, Wait, so, say that again. Say that again. Sorry, I got a text from my daughter. <laughs> oh, no problem. I'm saying the darker the music, the more generally likely that the artist is into golf and laid back things and yacht rock. In other words, John Five is super tatted up like you. And then you look at all the stuff that he's into and it's all jokey, lighthearted kind of stuff. I get those vibes from you, even though there's the John Carpenter past. Yeah, I mean uh i don't know how jokey i'm not that good at, i'm not funny um so uh but i uh i i generally keep things lighthearted as far as movies and shit that i watch yeah i mean i wouldn't say i'm into yacht rock but i do get i do listen to like some old school country and shit i mean i am from texas so i get pretty deep into george jones sometimes so that is actually a major point of interest for me because you signed with metal blade legendary metal label but when in your life did metal and heavier music become the focal point? Because let's face it, you start out on top 40 like everybody, and then you discover those one or two independent or cool things, and then that's your gateway. Uh, probably a couple instances I can track it back to. I used to play uh, soccer when I was younger, and I was on a trip with the team. A couple guys were in our car, and I got, had a, we were sharing like a CD player, and he had Pretty Hate Machine, and I think oh. I was like, 12 I don't know I was pretty young and it was the loudest thing I'd ever heard so I was immediately just like from then on chasing heavier and heavier and heavier things uh and then when my brother moved out to go to college he left behind like I don't know a couple hundred CDs it was like suicidal tendencies Depeche Mode ministry there's all kinds of shit in it Big Daddy Kane so like my music taste just kind of exploded Wow. Okay. So I had you pigeonholed until you said Big Daddy Kane. So <laughs> did that lead you down more of a rabbit hole of old school hip hop? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was like uh, an NWA 
I had an NWACD. I'm trying to think of all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of gone through like hip hop phases where I'll, you know, when I kind of just want to listen to something without putting too much thought into it. I'll uh, not saying that about hip hop. I just for me, well, that's when I'll put it on when I just kind of want to have fun and and not think about the music too much. So was Judgment Night's uh, soundtrack influential in your musical development? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so. I, I now get you more. I liked the music, but seeing that there's the country background, the hip hop, the metal, yet you're pigeonholed as, you know, oh, metal producer, metal wave. How do you like to be thought of when they use the terms to describe you? What's the least cringeworthy one of those? Uh, I don't know if it's not cringeworthy, but slasher wave is kind of the genre that got <laughs> pinned on what I do. So. I guess that's what I call it. I mean, it has its own genre in Bandcamp now, so it's like a thing. So I guess that, I mean, dark electronic music is what I tell people, like just people off the street. I've never heard the Slash Wave before. Now, I was trying to figure out how to pigeonhole that because Chill Wave, I listen to a lot of that. That's my go-to-sleep music. And your music is kind of like the dark cousin that the parents of Chill Wave don't want you to hang out with. And I mean that in a good way. So... When did you realize that you had this sound? In other words, when did this go from a one or two off kind of thing to, oh, this is actually my sound and no one at a label is going to tell me to write a hit? <laughs> um, I guess whenever Blood Music approached me after they had signed Perturbator, he was trying to scoop up like all the synthwave artists that hadn't been signed. And... Um, I had written half of Behemoth and didn't really know where I was going to go, but he like really liked that material. So I just kind of ran with it. And then once that record was released and it, the response was, you know, like I've never had in making music before. I, that's when it was like, okay, I guess this is what I do now. So listening back to Skull and Radio Macabre and all that, do you still enjoy those records or do you listen back on, Oh man, I would have done that and that and that differently. I try, I try to like take that approach and just kind of leave them for what they are. It was, I was growing. So I don't hate them, but I could definitely listen to them and pick everything apart and be like, this is like fourth production of my career and blah, blah, blah. But it's also kind of what got me started. And, and so, yeah, I don't hate it. I just, it is what it is. So upcoming touring in support of Prophecy, the new music, what's the set list looking like? Because you obviously now have a catalog to draw from, whereas an artist who's on their first or second record, they go, okay, 40 minutes. Uh, let's see, my album's 32. So we'll do the album and a cover and about four minutes of banter, how you all doing tonight kind of stuff. But it, now you have to go, well, I have to cut out songs that people want to hear in my time slot um i don't know well this year we're gonna do some headline stuff so it's gonna be probably nearly an hour and a half long set so i'll be able to squeeze quite a bit of stuff into that um we're doing a couple of support runs i believe later in the year those are probably going to be 40 minutes it's definitely hard i mean every time i play every time i tour i definitely get a few fans coming up being like you never play this song you never play my favorite song and it's like i mean i can't <laughs> You know, I kind of ask people generally, generally sometimes on, like, on social media what they want to hear. But, you know, the answers are all over the place. It is a lot of material. Now, as a person who creates the sounds, 
you are the group. Is anything going on for you as a producer outside of this band? Uh, I mean, nothing big. No, I, I've had a few kind of like lightly interested people that just really never came to fruition. I'm definitely down to do it. Uh, I don't really know how you kind of really get into that game and get people to know, to know that that's what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like I know a bunch of producers and that's what they do. They don't really write music and, and other things like that, but I would definitely be interested in that. I just, I don't know how to, how to, how to break into it, to be honest. Usually it's a hyperactive manager, uh, giving out your reel and all that a lot of times. I thought you were going to say, oh, I'm scoring two films right now. That's plenty. Are you in the film scoring world? No, I would love to be. I mean, that's a whole different um, set of technicalities and shit too. Like I kind of, uh, there was a movie called Bloodfest. I think it's like a horror movie where they go to like a horror fest and they get murdered or whatever. And I have one song in that, but they did, uh, offer me the to score it but I had to like compete with whoever ended up scoring it and so mm -hmm. I didn't really know what I was doing you know you have to have like a whole separate program with like the time signatures of the movie and how fast the scene's moving and stuff like that so I was just doing it by 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 eye and by ear so I don't know how well it worked out but the other guy got the score anyway so I would definitely oh. love to do it it's just I don't know you know the first I mean, thing about it you're not scoring films, but you know, you are an artist of Metal Blade. You have the headlining dates. I think you're doing just fine and you don't necessarily need the freelance work right now. But it'll be interesting to see if film composers or film producers rather hear your work and go, oh, that guy should be scoring my film based on your music sounding like soundtracks as it is. So when you're writing the music, it's not written to video at all. No, no, I may have like a scene playing in my head or something, but uh, no, I've never, never written it to video. That would be an interesting way to write an album, but no, everything mm -hmm. starts here. Wow. Okay. Well, two quick questions and then I let you go. And uh, they're clickbaity, but friendly questions. Uh -huh. This is how you get Blabbermouth to pick up your article so that everyone then plagiarizes it. So Metal Injection picks it up, et cetera. Uh, the, the first one, you mentioned more diverse musical influences than I think everybody realizes you had. Was Van Halen ever in that musical spectrum for you? Definitely. I don't know if I can trust someone who says they don't like Van Halen. That's crazy. So is it Van Hagar and Van Halen and Van Sharon you like, or are you just the first six albums? The first six, man. <laughs> and then related to that, you know, your evolution as a player, did you have a shred phase in terms of your musicianship where you played too I many notes? I tried to have a, a shred phase, man. I just, so many plateaus like in lead guitar work that I don't know. I would just, I'm more of a songwriter, dude, to when I get down to it. I just... Don't have the patience to sit down and noodle for hours every day to get it. Because the guy that plays bass with me live, he's a really good guitar player. And that's what he does. You know, he does guitar exercises every day. So he's gotten really good. He can shred now. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be quite – I don't think I'll be a shredder. I don't have the patience. So he's more of a Billy Sheehan type. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the, the last question before I let you go. Obviously, when you start off in music, music is your life. It's all you do. You have music on 24-7. Then there hits that point where you go, what's the exact opposite of this so I don't hate my job? 
what is your number two hobby or passion outside of music? Um, it used to be drugs and alcohol, but I don't really do that much anymore. So honestly, man, it's not cool, but my family, I, I just, we, we do a lot of traveling. We like to go to like the high desert areas of the States and kind of disappear and like, do we hike the whole time we're there? We don't really relax. So that's probably it. Like just being out in the middle of nowhere where there's no people and taking in, you know, stuff that I've never seen. Wow. Okay. That, that is exactly the opposite of drugs and alcohol. So congratulations on keeping health going, keeping the great music going, et cetera. And I do hope to see you live in New York in the very near future. Yes, I'll be. I think I'll be there. I'm. Pl I'm shooting for the next few months, sometime like that. Outro cast. <laughs>